The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. So chapter 16 of Luke's Gospel is dominantly focused upon the Pharisees. The Lord is addressing the Pharisees in particular last week It was the parable of the unfaithful steward. And this week he continues with another parable, which is the parable about the rich man. And in between, he also rebukes them for their silence regarding certain moral issues. And so there's a short little section in between the two parables where he speaks to them specifically about adultery. So he is rebuking them because of the way in which they have treated or neglected St. John the Baptist, having not defended him, but also the way in which they have tolerated Herod. And so Herod, who is in the state of adultery with his brother's wife, they have said nothing about this. And so the Lord rebukes them for their silence, their lack of preaching the truth. He also is rebuking them because of their avarice. And he is showing through these two parables the ways in which, the dominant ways, in which avarice can cause us to step away from those two fundamental commandments, the commandments of love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in the first parable regarding the unfaithful steward, 
we can see that the rich man in that parable represents God himself, whereas the rich man in this parable represents the evil person, the person who is avaricious. And in the first parable, we can see that what happens is that that avarice affects the relationship that the unfaithful steward has with his master in the same way that avarice can affect our relationship with God himself. But also we can see through this second parable that the Lord is addressing to them now is not only are they neglecting God in their life because of their avarice, because of their love of money, as it says in the gospel, the Pharisees had a particular love of money. And so they responded to the first parable with mockery and with laughter. When the Lord rebuked them through the first parable about being unfaithful stewards, they simply laughed. And so he continues in an attempt to try and break their hardened hearts open again to grace that they might receive his grace and might be saved. And so what happens is after laughing at the first parable, he now tells them another one, which is now particular to how their avarice affects their ministry to others, how they should have cared for the poor. And so he says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. The word here for linen is literally the most expensive type of clothing you could have bought in that time, as well as the purple garment. And so it is someone who is clothed in complete riches and also who feasts sumptuously, eats whatever they want, dresses whatever in whatever they want. Everything is comfort. Everything in this life is taken care of. What's interesting, as some of the church fathers note, is that this rich man is not named, whereas the poor man is named. And one of the church fathers says that is because the poor are known by God. The poor are known by God. This rich man will be forgotten. And so what happens is, is that the Lord is setting the scene. You have this rich man who has more than enough for himself. And at his gate, he doesn't even have to go far. He cannot plead ignorance. He cannot say, I never saw the poor. This man was at his gate. He would have encountered him every time he went in and went out. And then he could also not deny any ignorance with regarding his sufferings and say, well, how could I see into him and see that he was hungry? This man was covered with sores. Not only does he suffer with hunger, he suffers with pain as well. But so great is his hunger that he almost forgets his pain for the sake of the hunger, desiring to be fed with whatever might fall from the rich man's table, even the scraps, even what might be given to the dogs. But it says that he received nothing. No one gave him anything. No one cared for him in any way. No one alleviated his hunger. No one took care of his wounds. Even the base instinct of animals appears to be more charitable than the humans that surround him. The dogs came and licked his sores. A humble and simple attempt by what is animal to alleviate the sufferings of another. Even if we were to look at creation, we can see charity at work even in those things which are not rational. How much more should we be loving and care for those who are in pain and in suffering? The example is always before us. We cannot plead ignorance. We cannot plead that we have never seen suffering. We cannot plead that we have never encountered it. We cannot plead that creation doesn't teach us what to do. Everything in God's creation teaches love and charity, even at the basest levels. 
And then it gets to the point of death. And this is where everything changes. What happens is that what was exterior for the poor man now becomes interior and exterior for the rich man. What was exterior for the rich man now becomes interior and exterior for the poor man. The one who was poor becomes rich. The one who is rich is stripped of everything and becomes poor. The one who suffered moves into consolation. The one who had consolation moves into suffering. In one moment, everything is turned around. To the one who had no one to care for him, he is carried by angels. To the one who was pandered to in every whim, there is no one there for him for his consolation. To the one who suffered exteriorly with the burning of sores, is given the attention of angels as they minister to him. To the one who suffered nothing exteriorly or in terms of hunger, he now desires even one drop of water, one drop on his tongue to alleviate some of the thirst. And what happens here now is the rich man also dies and he was buried, not taken up into the bosom of Abraham. Obviously what that refers to is the resting place of those of faith. Abraham is the father of faith. So the bosom of Abraham is the kind of literary uh, way in which we speak of this resting place. The rich man now also dies and it says, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. He is now in the state of the poor man who being in torment had lifted up his eyes at the gate of this rich man during his life but had received no mercy. And just as the rich man had failed to cross the threshold of his gate in order to alleviate the sufferings of Lazarus during his life, now he is unable to cross the chasm that exists between the two. An unwillingness to pass through that gate means an inability now to pass over the ca that chasm that exists. He begins now to appeal for mercy a mercy and a cry for mercy that he ignored in this life. He will not be ignored, but there is nothing that can be done now to alleviate his suffering. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus. Send the one I neglected to do for me what I would not do for him. Get him to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Remember, Go back to your lifetime where you received good things and Lazarus in like manner evil. That was the time to set the balance. That was the time to distribute to the ones in need. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, there is this great chasm that exists between the two of us. And we can see that death does not change the interior state of our soul. If we die in faith and grace, that's why we enter into eternal life. But if we die outside of faith, you can see that that lack of faithfulness, that obstinacy of heart, is what continues into eternity and is part of the sufferings of eternity. He says, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them also that they might not come here. And Abraham says to him, they have the prophets and Moses, let them listen to them. 
to the same ones that you should have listened to, let them listen to them as well. Again, he will stand no correction. He will not allow himself to be taught. He knows everything. No Father Abraham, <laughs> correcting the Father of faith. No Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Again, this will be proved to be untrue even in their life in terms of the Pharisees when the Lord comes back from the dead and they still, not do accept, they still don't accept him in faith. Also, what is interesting though, if you look at some of the chronological putting togethers of the gospel by some scholars, is that what immediately follows from this scene is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. When the Lord goes and raises Lazarus, and what is the Pharisees' response to that? Obstinacy in their unbelief. In fact, what they want to do, as it says in John's Gospel, is they decide to kill Lazarus because he is such a profound sign of the divinity of Christ. And so their hearts are still hardened. They still will not repent. And this state endures into eternity if it is not corrected. And this is what then Abraham says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so here is what the Lord is speaking about for us as well, which is an openness to the Word of God. An openness to the Word of God is then what allows those cracks in the heart to open. It allows the Word to take root in our heart and to bear fruit in our life. And that fruit is to act with the love and mercy of God. It begins then in our life in which we then manifest this mercy towards God, a mercy which has been made manifest to us. One last point, as we've said before. These exterior scenes, the way in which the church cares for the poor, is an exterior manifestation of the way in which God cares for the church in the spiritual sense. We are the poor. We beg at the gate of Christ. And he does not simply give us the scraps from his table to eat. He gives us his son to consume. His gifts are abundant and lavish. And we have benefited from his lavishness and from his mercy. The way in which the church cares for the poor is an exterior manifestation of this reality. It's a way in which we can do in a visible way what God does invisibly. We become a visible manifestation of the love of God when we act with mercy. And so we do it not only for our own benefit, not only simply for the care and the benefit of the poor, but also because it gives a witness of love, a witness of mercy, and a witness of God. Amen.